existence in a spirit world with a spirit God, with a spirit enemy. If that's the case, then we should respond to the spirit world. There should be a way that we acknowledge that there's a spirit world. We should live as if there's a spirit world. We should defend in the spirit world if the enemy is a spirit enemy. We should acknowledge that our God is a spirit God, since the Bible says he's a spirit God and we're spirit beings. Yet, do we operate as if there's a spirit world? Do we operate as if there is an unseen world? This morning when you awoke and rose and got up and got prepared, did your mind think about the spirit world that you and I live in? Did you comprehend that there's an enemy that lives in the spirit world that was after you today with his comrades called demons? If in fact you did, then you would have prepped yourself to be prepared to defend in the spirit world. So what did you do today before you walked in here to properly equip yourself to battle in the spirit world? Or did you work and move as if it's a physical world? In America, we have a very Western worldview that's shaped physically. Yet, if you travel in many parts of our world, there are people who worship spirit gods. They worship as though they're animus. They give alms so that the spirits stay away from them. They daily commit to certain times of the day to pray and to give because the spirit wants to attack them. Some even go to bed at night and their huts shake because there's a spirit being shaking their huts. Some even arise in the middle of the night in jungles of our world on the other side of our world hearing baby cries at night and there's no babies. Some live as though there's a spirit world and they offer homage to a spirit God. So if that's the case, does the spirit wall divide the globe in half? Does it run through the center of the universe and stop and say, in America, we don't have spirit beings. We don't need to respond in a spirit way. We don't need to live as though there's these unseen spirits because that's not America. That only happens on the other side of the globe. Yet... All around America, people live that way. Many of you woke today. Many of you arise tomorrow. Many of you have lived through your life. Something goes wrong. Your first default, your first response is fix it physically. What can I do? What self-help program can I walk through? What thing can I take? What can I touch? What can I reconfirm? What can I rewire? What can I redo to fix this? When in reality, what if it was a spiritual attack and you're trying to fix it with a physical thing. Many in this room spend their entire lives trying to fix spirit problems with physical things. I have some horrible news for you. You'll never fix it. You're trying to fix marriages. You're trying to fix wives. You're trying to fix husbands. You're trying to fix jobs. You're trying to fix illnesses. You're trying to fix homes and businesses. You're trying to fix children. You're trying to fix addictions. You're trying to fix a barrage of things only in a physical way. What if those things that have manifested themselves physically are a spiritual attack by the enemy? Will you ever really find freedom? No, you won't. Isaiah was two and a half years old. Woke one night. I was back in her bedroom with Ann. We were asleep, and he, he, this screaming cry from the bedroom, Daddy, 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 screaming. I popped out of bed, went to his room, went into his room, and he has this, this terrors all over his face, and I'm looking at him, and he said, Daddy, 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 there's something in the room. Something's in the room. Something's in the room walk into his room, and my default system at that moment was, as it is the case for most Americans, Western mindset, 
And because I was half asleep, walked in and said, Isaiah, there's nothing in the room. It's okay. Dad's here. It'll be okay. It's okay. Dad's here. And so I sat on the bed, talked to him, and, and, and tried to console him, say, it's okay. I'm right down the hall. Dad's down the hall. Mom's down the hall. You'll be okay. It's just a bad, what, dream. Console him, walk down the hallway, get back in bed, fall asleep. Get woken up again by this curling cry in Isaiah's room. Day, 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 day. Something's in the room. Something's in the room. Walked to his room again, and instantly the Spirit of God said, Jim, there is something in the room. Jim, there's a spirit presence in the room. Jim, your son is unsaved. Jim, there's someone that wants his soul. Jim, respond in a spiritual way. So immediately... Went James 4, 7, submit to God. God, by your authority that was invested in the cross and by the power of righteousness that, that I preside with, I sit with you in the heavenlies because of your work and your righteousness. I command this evil presence, this demonic force, to be gone in Jesus' name. Immediately Isaiah was comforted. Pray with him, walk back to the bedroom. Never heard another thing from him. Now, let me ask you a question. How many parents in this room walked into your kid's room? He's got night terrors. He doesn't sleep. He keeps seeing these things. Talks about stuff in the closet or under the bed. And you search and you turn the light on. You show them, look, nothing's here. Nothing's here. Nothing's here. Nothing's here. Nothing's here. And so you raise children with the Western worldview that says there's nothing there. And so they grow up. They walk out into the world. You could be that child. Walk out into this world. And so you think that there aren't evil spirit beings when in reality the very thing that was in your room was a demonic force from Satan's comrades. Yeah, that sounds spooky, doesn't it? Oh, Jim, you're just sensationalizing. No, I'm not. I'm very balanced in my view of the spirit world. I think that... In this room, the majority, in the link, and across the world, the Christian mindset battles in the physical. We lay down with them. We fall asleep with them. We show them under the bed. We show them in the closet. We turn on the lights, and we think, we'll fix it, when in reality, there was a demon in that room. So what do you do with things like that? How many of you, as parents, regularly have told your children there's nothing there? How many of you as parents have your kids praying and put on the armor of God every single day? How many of you as parents have taught your children that there's a spirit world, that there's a spirit God, that there's a spirit enemy? How many of of you parents have your children watch you pray that in the name of Jesus Christ that these spirit beings would leave? How many of you are raising children, have raised children and grandchildren to live in a spirit world with a physical fix for everything? Many. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about the spirit world. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians. While you're turning there, let me just say a few things. I've been deeply impacted by two individuals in my life when it comes to the spirit world. When it comes to demons and Satan and spiritual warfare. One of which I've spent a lot of time with personally. He's invested in my life. Very balanced person, man of God by the name of Jabel. And I thank God for his investment in my life. He's been a mentor to me. And I, I served on cross-cultural missions trips with him. Spoken to my life and made me aware of things. I knew something was there. I just wasn't sure where to go. And, and he showed me through scripture what, 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 what was happening and how I could defend. And so I've been on this journey for most of my Christian life, my adult Christian life. realizing that we live in a spirit world and I need spiritual warfare. Another individual that has deeply impacted my life that doesn't know me, but I know him is Dr. Neil Anderson. Dr. Neil Anderson has one of the best absolute resources on planet earth for the spirit world and spiritual warfare. And every Christian alive should own this book called The Bondage Breaker. You should own it. You should write it down. You should order it this week. 
Dr. Neil Anderson, the bondage breaker. And so between those two individuals and my own personal experience and my own study and my own digging into this whole concept of, of the spirit world, the unseen world, I've developed this worldview based upon experience, based upon fact, based upon truth that I practice, that I live every day of my life. And so even throughout this message, you'll see much influence from these individuals and from my own personal study in my own personal life. And I'd like to thank Jay Bell and Dr. Neil Anderson. Some of you will probably hear this and say, Jim, oh, that's, just, that's just spooky stuff. That isn't the case. Some of you might think I'm a little off kilter by my persistence about putting on the armor of God. Some of you will think, why does he always talk about the armor of God? Some of you will, will, will be so persistent about that that you just shove this off and you say, well, it's just, that's Ephesians 6. We don't need that in our world today. To be quite frank, I don't care what you think about what I have to say today. I'm going to speak truth. My desire is that you take it, listen to the Spirit speaking to you, and you apply it to your life. If I'm trying to please you, then I shouldn't stand here. I'm here to please my God and to speak truth from the Word of God. I just choose to believe the Bible, and I want to walk in victory. I want you to walk in victory. I don't want you to get bullied around by the unseen world and the enemy called Satan and his demons. If you choose then not to get dressed, here's what I would tell you. You will be pushed around. If you didn't get dressed today and your children who are saved didn't get dressed today spiritually, they will get pushed around. You will get pushed around by an enemy who goes after Christians who don't properly equip themselves for the battle day after day after day. In fact, you can go and pray about an outfit that you want from Kohl's, and I'll pray about some clothes from God. It's important that you get dressed spiritually. Some of us are more concerned about the exterior than we are the unseen exterior. And so you must be properly addressed every day. And here's what I know to be true. If you are, you will win. By the way, Scripture tells us over and over again by the work of the cross and the, the, the tomb is empty that we have already won this battle. But if you don't use the proper tools, you will get interference. You will get distracted. You will get off target and you will be defeated regularly. I want you to win. I am so serious about this. I believe with all of my heart that if you take these principles that God has placed in his word, you will find victory like you've never found before. Stand with me. Let's read about the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read verses 10 through 18. Read it with me, please. This is the word of God. When you speak this, it makes the enemy run. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Please read it with me. Ready? Read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You may have a seat. We see from this passage that our, our struggle is not against, look at verse 12, against, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of what? Evil in the heavenly realms. Paul gives us a picture of how we can be properly dressed. I say this not to bring attention to myself, but for you to recognize that this is very important. Each day of my life, I get dressed physically 
and spiritually. It's imperative as Christ followers that you get dressed spiritually every day. Every morning when I get up, before my feet hits a bed, I read scripture. I pray to God and put on the spiritual armor of God. Then I shower. I get ready spiritually before I get ready physically. Paul addresses this armor that we put on. I want to look at some of these pieces and maybe give you some different insight on these. Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? How does that help us? How do we get that? How do, how do we put that on? What does that look like? To begin with, in order for us to be righteous, we need to confess the sins in our lives. However, if we walk in righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, because of what Christ has given for us and done for us on the cross, if we don't confess our daily sins, then we allow ourselves to be vulnerable in that area for the enemy's fiery darts. And I'll talk about that more. So how do we confess? Here's the normal way most Christians confess. They go to God and they say this, God, I'm sorry. And they move on. They think that that's confession. But confession of sin means to say back the same things that you've done. So real confession is this. If in fact there's this sin in your life, confession is saying, God, I know what I've done. I I acted in an angry way towards my wife. God, I said this thing. And because of that, I have sinned. You speak, confess back what you've done. Then you say, God, I am sorry for that. Please forgive me of that sin. Please, God, by the work of the cross, forgive me. Then you say, I'm sorry for that. That's the process of confession. Yet most people skip to part three. And they say, God, I am so sorry, God. Yet you haven't confessed it. You haven't spoken back what you've done. You haven't acknowledged your fault. You haven't asked for forgiveness. You just say, I'm sorry. So daily we should confess our sins, starting with what we've done, acknowledging what we've done, telling God we know that what we've done is sinful, asking God for forgiveness of that. Then, God, I'm sorry, we move on. So each day you should do that. Another piece of the garment that he gives to us are the the shoes of peace. What are the shoes of peace? That's to protect against division. So daily when you get up, you ask God to put on the shoes of peace. That protects. That makes you a peacemaker. That allows you to walk into a divisive situation and to stand in peace. But here's the problem. This is why we need to put on the shoes of peace. The enemy loves when Christians argue and try to divide and are divisive. And here's where it begins. Often in the local church. Even sometimes in families and relatives, we will divide on a doctrine issue. And as a result of trying to find unity in our minds instead of unity of the Spirit, there's division. Christ has not called us to unity of mind. He's called us to unity of spirit and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We can differ on doctrine, but if you want to be, you want to have unity of the mind, you will be a lonely Christian the rest of your life. But if you want unity of spirit, that's what the the peace that comes around our shoes, then you find that in our heritage, in our salvation in Jesus Christ. If you want unity, then you find it in unity of spirit, not unity of mind. So what happens? Someone walks into church. I don't like the way you think on this. I don't like the way you operate your theology. I don't like this doctrine. And so what happens? They go somewhere else and they say, well, this is the way we should do it. Divisive. And so Satan uses that kind of of influence to divide. And so if you wake up each day, God, help me to have unity of spirit with other Christians. We might agree to disagree. Satan loves to divide followers of Christ. How about the shield of faith? What is the shield of faith? By the way, the shield of faith is a different size for everybody. Some of us saying, well, I'm going to go to the store and it's all one size. Give me the shield of faith every morning. God, I put on the shield of faith. Let me tell you something. Your shield of faith 
is a different size for everyone. Some shields are this big. Some are this big. Some are that big. Some are that big. And the larger your shield, the less areas of vulnerability you have of being hit from the enemy with his lies, accusations, and smoke screens. So how do we enlarge our shield? The shield comes by knowing the word of God. And not only knowing it, but putting it into practice, like Pastor Rich talked about last week. So, if you want your shield to grow larger, it's not just saying God put on the shield. It's spending time in his word. It's taking the truths and applying them. If you spend regular, daily time in his word, you build your faith bank. Your faith bank grows because you've put it into action. And what happens is your shield grows too. Show me a person who daily deflects the lies of the enemy. I'll show you a person who daily walks in faith because they've spent time in the book and they're daily depositing into their faith banks and they're drawing regularly from it and their shield is huge. So we need some responsibility on our behalf. Then he says this, put on the helmet of salvation. Why a helmet of salvation? Because it secures your mind. Any soldier in a war wears a helmet. Why? Because the mind is the thinking unit of the body. And if the enemy can get in and feed us some lies, can accuse us, can confuse us with his schemes, then the rest of our body is affected by the fact that we believe a lie. And so we need to daily know that our salvation and who we are is based on Jesus Christ. And when we hear those lies, which he loves, here's what he does. He comes along and says, you're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You will fail. Don't do it. You've never done it before. You, no one in your family's ever done it. You, and he throws all this junk at us and he tries to attack our mind. But if we have the helmet of salvation on that goes back and says, uh-uh, I know by faith, this is what Ephesians 1 says. This is what Ephesians 2 said. I'm seated with Christ. And by the work of the cross, the enemy has been disarmed. I know who I am. I don't care what you say. You will win the battle. But if you believe the lies along the way, the helmet protects the mind. And so how do you protect the mind? You believe the truths of the Bible and not the lies of the enemy. Now this next one for me is, I think most people inter interpret this one incorrectly. This is my interpretation of this. Look at the sword of the spirit in, in chapter six again. Let's look closely at this. Look what he says in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the what? Word of God. Now here's where most people take this. By the way, this word, word in Greek, isn't logos, it's rima. Huge difference. Rima is the spoken word of God. Logos or logos is the written word of God. So look back at this passage again. It says, listen, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weaponry that we have, which is the rhema of God, the spoken word of God. It's an offensive weapon. So in order for us to defend ourselves, some people say, well, I got the sword of the spirit. And you've probably been taught this. I got the sword of the spirit. This, this deflects. Yes, it does. However, this passage says to take the word, rima, the, the logos, and speak it. So the sword is speaking the word of God. The sword is saying who you are. The sword is speaking who Satan is. The sword is saying, by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, I'm redeemed, I'm bought, and I am victorious. It's a sword. It's active. It's not the word itself. It's speaking the word. That is critical when it comes to winning in the unseen world. So that means when these thoughts come, you speak the word. You take out your sword and you rema the enemy. You speak to him. You tell him who you are in Christ. You tell him he can't touch you because you know who you are in Jesus Christ. But here's what often happens. We add this other sword to our armor. And it's called our own, like, I don't want to use this one. I like this one better. I'm going to use the sword of discouragement. 
You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak this. And so what happens is we begin to speak these lies that Satan tells us. And here's what's happening. I say this over and over and over and over again. I pray that you finally get it. What you speak is what you plant. It then in turn is what you grow. Take a look at Facebook. Just take a look. Watch what people speak about their wives, about their husbands, about their relationships, about their children, about their bosses, about their situations. You are planning. When I see that, it's like, you got the wrong sword. You don't even need that sword. You've taken the lies of the enemy. You strapped his sword to your side, and you are growing defeat. So you say, oh, my marriage is horrible. My husband is horrible. Guess what? You've just planted that. Guess what's going to grow? Horrible. Just take a look. Sometimes just don't write anything. Just read the news thread in Facebook. My life is so horrible. My life is so difficult. I wish this. I wish that. I wish she did this. I wish he did that. And I look and say, listen, speak. Take the Rima sword and say, by God's grace and God's help, I'm victorious and I will overcome. We will overcome. Speak that, plant that, that's what you grow. I can't tell you how important this is. It has nothing to do with positive attitude. It has everything to do with what the Word of God says. You reap what you sow. This is so incredibly important, the sword of the Spirit. And so when Satan comes along, we need to speak back at him and tell him who he is. The sword is our offensive weapon. We need to rema Satan. We need to rema those voices that come and says, oh, this is horrible. It'll never get better. I could never love her. I could never love him. I could never do this. I could never do that. You need to throw that sword of the enemy away and say, I don't belong to you. You need to take the Rima sword out and say, this is what God says and speak that. I am so serious about this. By the way, the enemy loves to throw temptation and arrows our way. Yesterday morning, I've been around the block a few times like many of you spiritually. And I've faced some things that most have never faced in the spirit world. I don't try to sensationalize that. It's not like, yeah, yeah, so what? I just want to tell you that there, I, I am alert and self-controlled and trying to, to look ahead and seeing. These are patterns that he had. Because we have an enemy, he's watching you, by the way. He's seeing the shrugs of your shoulders. He's watching you right now going, (laughs) or, yeah. He's watching your expressions. He can't read your mind because he's a created being. The only uncreated beings is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so he can't read your mind. And so he's looking for action. And so he studies your life. And he sends demons to send reports back. And so I do the same thing. Any good soldier is watching the enemy. What are his strategy and schemes? And so any time in my life, when I come across certain periods where God is working, I know that there's going to come these flaming darts after me. Yesterday morning, I woke up yesterday morning. And so I prayed and put on the spiritual armor of God. And right now, I'm in a, uh, I, I, I don't let my feet touch the ground until I read the word of God. So I grabbed my phone, and I'm in a period of time right now where I'm listening to Scripture. Jumped on Bible, version, turned to E100. It's a reading plan that goes through the Bible, and I, I read a proverb a day. And so I'm ready to read it, put the armor on, and, you know, I'm, I'm in this position thinking I'm just looking to see what he's going to do. And as soon as I hit play, I heard the same voice that I've heard on numerous occasions before, the voice of a demon coming out of my phone. Very clear just as clear as can be. Same voice, same threatening, deep, bare tone. And my first impression was, as soon as it hit me, the hairs on my arms stood up, and I realized immediately, wow, that's your best attack today? And so immediately, I took the sword out, and I remoed Satan, and I submitted to God. James 4, 7, God, 
you are more powerful. God, your work on the cross is powerful. God, you said that I sit with you. My feet dangle with you. My feet are far above the enemy, not because of anything I've done, because of the work of the cross. And so, God, I walk in your power, and Satan is subject to me because of the work that you've done. And then I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. I reamed him. I spoke to him. I took the sword and said, there, there's truth. You can feed me alive. I also did something else because he's trying to speak through this device. I've heard the voice before. I also know this, that when you speak scripture, Rima, Satan runs. You know, I did instead of continue to press play. I just read the scripture out loud. And it was so good to read these truths of the day. And you know what happened to Satan? He took his little tail between his legs and he ran out of the room. An interesting thing happened, by the way. I went and I took a shower. I came back to grab my phone and I hit play again. And it was back to the original voice of the guy who normally talks, who sounds like a vampire. That's what it was. See, listen to me, church. Had I tried to, let's fix this thing. Let's restart this. Let's, let's plug it in. Let's, let's reset. Let's get the red slide on the iPhone and shut it off. Let's get the little spinning thing going. And let's restart the top. Hit the top button and watch the Apple. Let's try to fix it physically. That's what we do in Western worlds. But my default system was, whoo. And I actually said this, that's it? That's your best shot? Listen to me, church. If you're not prepared for the battle, you'll get pushed around. If you're not properly addressed for the battle and equipped for the day, he'll feed you some lies. And he tries to push you away from trailing or pushing hard after Jesus Christ. James 4, 7 says, submit to God and then resist the devil. It takes both, not just one, it takes both. Dr. Neil Anderson told this story in his, one of his books that I've read. He's a pastor, by the way, very balanced. And he said that he was going to give a message on deliverance, on the unseen world, and evangelism. And so he said that he doesn't often or very rarely is overcome by fear. He said he woke up in the middle of the night before preaching this sermon and he was overcome with this fear. He said he was sweating and he was fearful. And, and so he just spoke the word of God and, and told Satan who he was and let Satan know he had authority over him. And he said immediately the fear left. He said he woke up the next morning before anyone got up. He walked to the bathroom and there was these satanic signs that, that the enemy, the demons had put on his mirror in the bathroom. Just kind of just wrote them on the mirror. And he said no one had been up. And no one was up before him. And he thought, that's it? See, Satan's weapon is trying to bully us and push us around. So he prayed and left the room. And he said on his way to the church office, as he was going there, he said, his hand hurt. But man, what's going on? He looked down and there were two bite marks on his hand. He said the enemy had even taken time to, to try to put fear in him and put bite marks on his hand. So he spoke the sword. Rima him back and told him who he was, and he said he went on and delivered this message. Now listen to me, church. I don't try to sensationalize this. This is real life stuff. And if you don't address the unseen world, then you will continue to walk in fear. You will never be the person Christ intended you to be. I want to debunk some lies about the unseen world. The first one is this. Demons have the power and authority to block your path. I'm going to repeat that. And by the way, I hope you're taking notes because it wouldn't surprise me of all of this if we have very much difficulty this week getting this message up. And that's okay because you're hearing the word of God. Demons have the power and authority to block your path. I want to debunk that myth. You see, we have the tendency to give Satan and demons way too much power over us. And for that matter, to give Satan too much credit for his power. Let me set the record straight about Satan's power. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Please turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
Colossians chapter 2. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Let's set the record straight about how much power that Satan really has. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2. Based upon the work of the cross in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, he says this. And having dis what? What's the word? Arm the what? And what? He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. In other words, Satan has been disarmed. Now, I want to try to explain this as best as I can. Imagine you're walking out into a war and you find out that the enemy doesn't have a weapon. Here's what's happened. God walked into Satan's man cave and took his AR-15, his AK-47, and all his ammunition. Walked in and stripped it, took all of it. He went to his gun cases and opened them up. He stripped them. When he went to the cross and he, he was resurrected out of the grave, God went in, Jesus went in and took every single piece of weaponry, all his swords, all his knives, all his 50 caliber, all his 30 alt six, all his 12 gauges. He stripped his man cave of his artillery and he took them with him. So Satan walks to his man cave. He walks to his artillery bunker. There's nothing there. Listen, there's still nothing there. And so here's the deal. When we walk out into this battle, we need to know that he doesn't have a weapon that can harm us. But if you're not properly equipped, you don't have your armor on, he will throw a barrage of accusations, a bunch of smoke screens, a bunch of thoughts, trying to convince you otherwise. He'll feed you lies. So when you know that he's, un, he's been disarmed, you should live differently. By the way, I choose to. And so when there's an encounter with a, a demonic force and I've faced demonic forces. I've faced people who were speaking other voices, speaking at me. I stood firm, not in my power, but the power of the Lord and spoke in authority that I have and let that demon know that he's subject to me based upon the work of Jesus Christ in my life and he must leave. So be aware of that. The enemy has been disarmed. So what does that mean? Picture a line if you can. Picture a roaring lion, if you can. The enemy has been declawed, detoothed, and rendered disarmed. The Bible also says this about the enemy. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. On back a little bit farther. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It's very important to look at the, what comes before what it says about the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this. Be what? What's the word? Self-controlled and what? Alert. So here's what. You should wake up every day and I should too. We should get dressed and we should walk. By the way, we're in a battle. So you're walking to the, 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 the front lines. Now listen, you got the AR-15. You got the 50 caliber. You got the bazooka. You got the gunpowder. And he's got a squirt gun. But if you believe this lie that he is more powerful, you walk out in fear. And so this passage says, be ready, be alert, be self-controlled. And any soldier, alert. You're prepared. You're looking for ambush. You're looking for tactics. You're studying the enemy. You're looking for, this happened before, so guess what? I bet this is going to happen. You don't just aimlessly walk out without putting your armor on and your speedo and meet the squirt gun. But many of you did this morning. How many of you put on the armor of God? How many of you went to your man caves and pulled out the artillery and strapped yourself for the battle? How many of you are sitting in here today armorless? Let me tell you what's going to happen. You will get pushed around. Now, the enemy has power, yet he can't block your path. In fact, it says this. Look at verse, chapter 5 and verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like what kind of lion? Looking for someone to devour. Then it says this in verse 9. Do what to him? Resist him. Standing firm in the what? Okay. Why does the enemy roar? Have you ever wondered why? Well, it's a lion, Jim. Holy cow, lions roar. But why is the imagery of a, of a lion used for Satan? Listen. 
That's all he has. He's got a big mouth. And he speaks lies as loud as he can. I'm big, I'm strong, you're nothing. Seriously, that's what he does. All day long, he wants you to believe those lies. Because if you believe those lies and not the truth of who you are in Christ, he's got you in the mind and the helmet of salvation has been shattered. The best way I can describe what Satan really looks like is this view of a lion that you're very familiar with. Take a look at this. When I think of the enemy, and when I speak in Jesus' name, and I tell him, Rima him, I think he gets that look right there. Another picture that I can think of of the enemy is one that I had in Thailand. We went to a, a tiger den and kind of get that picture too. Yet, what does he do to us? He just bullies us around with this loud roar. And we think he must be big. He must be strong. And so what enemy wouldn't try to cast fear? The reason he roars, he wants us to be fearful. So he comes into our presence and speaks these lies to us. His bark is big, but his bite is minimal. And all we need to do is pull out our weapon and say, <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> and he's gone. But listen, you can't do that unless you are properly equipped. You spent time in his word and, and, and you're not toiling in sin and you are dressed properly because if in fact those things aren't in place and you're living in sin, listen, he can bully you around, but he cannot block your path. Some people say, well, here's the picture. Doesn't do demons have power to just stop me? I mean, can't they just like forcefully stop me? Can't, isn't Satan strong? It's like some of us think there's this tug of war. If I win this battle, if I'm gonna win this battle, I'm gonna be stronger. It's like we think that we, we gotta get from here to that end. And the only way we get through is just busting through all these barriers that, that the enemy has put up. It says, stop, let me say, Satan can't stop you. He has no power. Demons can't stop you. There is nothing they can put in your way to stop you, but they will distract you and they will interfere with you. Heard this great analogy in one of my readings. It goes like this. Picture if you can, you wake up each day and at the end of this gauntlet, down at the other end is Jesus Christ. You're on this end and your goal is to fix our eyes on Jesus because if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we walk the path we're supposed to walk. And so this illustration was great, by the way. This long gauntlet every day that we walk through. Now picture this long road, Jesus at the end, you're here. Now picture all these row houses along the way, side by side, the whole way down this path that you're about to walk on. And all day long, Satan can't put a wall in front of you. He can't send a demon and go, because they can't stop you. They don't have power. They've been disarmed, but they got a loud bark. They roar. And so all day long, here's his schemes. He knows where you're weak. Hey, look at this temptation. Look over here, Jim. Ooh. Or you can't do that. You will fail. Ooh. You don't have that kind of power. Your marriage will never make it. You should have a marriage like them. Oh, you believe, here's what they said about you when you weren't around. Oh, and so all day long, the enemy is running interference with the path that you're supposed to be on. And what we need to do is fix our eyes on the author and protector, perfecter of our faith and walk in power and rema those voices and say, I'm a child of God. I've already won, big boy. I'm a child of God. I can do anything. I'm victorious. I'm a conqueror. That's what we should speak all day long. People from time to time ask me, Jim, where does all your passion come from? I just say, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. It's not me. 
I just believe what Jesus says that I can walk in power. I just believe when Jesus said I need to put on the armor of God. I just believe when Jesus said that I need to daily spend time in his word so that, the, the, that, that I have this bottle of faith. I just choose to believe that the enemy has been disarmed. I just choose to believe that I can stand firm. Listen, so can you. And all the enemy has is a big bark. You see, his defeat has already happened. It happened at the cross. And by the way, it says that Jesus made a public spectacle of him there. <laughs> in other words, Jesus showed off a little and said, nah, 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 nah. hey, 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 goodbye. <laughs> That's what he did at the cross. That's Jim Brown paraphrase, a public spectacle. <laughs> see, here's the problem though. You are probably more in the way of your victory dance than Satan can ever or will be. Because you pull out this other piece of armor. Where'd that come from? It came from the enemy. It says, I don't have what it takes. My marriage isn't like that one. I'm not strong enough. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I could never do that. I don't have time. And so the greatest weapon that the voice of the enemy has is to keep us busy with the wrong stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this in in my Christian life, watching women and men. You try to get them in, in, into just this victory walk with God. Well, I don't have time for that. It's too hard. It's too difficult. You know, my, my brother never did it. Every time I try, I fail. And I say, who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the toothless, declawed lion? Or are you going to believe what Jesus said? And so all day long, he tries to keep you busy and distracted and interfere. You know, you ever listen to a radio, get on two-way radio, that, that there's an interference and you can't... That's what Satan does all day long. You need to turn the channel and go to the direct line to Jesus Christ. It's called prayer in Jesus' name. And speak truth. Demons don't have the power to stop you, but they can distract you. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 shows us that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, In order that Satan might not what us, we are not unaware of his what? Ephesians 6, 11 says, We must put on the armor in order to outwit his schemes. So if we're not dressed, then we will not win the battle. They cannot stop you. Satan has no weapon. If you don't remember anything, remember that. They cannot stop you. The only reason you get distracted and interfered is because you believe the father of lies. It's plain and simple. I can't stress how important it is to speak truth to yourself and to everyone else around you. I can't explain other than say, if you're not doing it, you will live in defeat the rest of your life. And all around me, I see these people who live in fear. Oh, I can't do that. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And so if you begin to believe that, guess what? You're saying, you know what, Satan? I think you speak truth and your native language is truth. Thank you very much. In other words, you worship his words as opposed to the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. They cannot stop you. But, and why? Well, let's, let's take a look. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 1. In case you need to remind it today, I, I think we do. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul says this. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be what? Enlightened. In other words, he hopes you see. In order that you may know the hope to which you have been called. Look at verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 1. In his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, Jesus is seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Then he says, here's what he's seated above. 21. Far above all what? And what? And what? 
and what? And what? That can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his what? And appointed him to be what? Over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. So in other words, Christ is seated far above all evil forces, far above Satan, far above demons, far above the toothless lion, far above everything, and his feet dangle above. That's power. Satan is subject to God. He has to do what God says he can do. God can give him permission, but he can't do anything more than God gives him permission to do. Now, here's the really cool side of that. That's where Jesus is at. wonder where we're at. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. And God raised who? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got to help me here. Okay, go back. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised who? Oh, come on. God raised who? Come on. God raised who? With who? And seated who? Oh, come on. I can't even hear from this side. Seated who? With who? Church, come on. If you get that one. Listen to me. This is so good. We sit with Jesus positionally right now. Our feet dangle with the king of the universe far above all rule, power, authority, toothless lions. We are powerful. He is subject to us. Come on, come on. Is that good news? But does it look that way in your life? Does it look like that on your Facebook thread? Does it look that way in your marriage? Does it look that way in this addiction that you have with pornography and nicotine and alcohol and sex? Does it look that way in your confidence and boldness and courage? Does it look that way when you're afraid to take a step of faith because you're fearful? Is that the position and posture of a redeemed follower of Christ bought and paid by the blood of the cross far above all the enemy who has been disarmed? Do we live that way or are we letting the enemy run interference with us all day long? Listen, you will never become the person Christ intended you to be unless you tell the enemy, this is who I am. This is what he's done. These are where my feet are. Come on, church. 85% of people in Christianity are, are, are in bondage to one habit or another. 85%. There's only 15% of born-again redeemed followers who are truly free. 15%. Some of you are addicted to food. Some of you are addicted to, to drink. Some of you are addicted to all kinds of sins and habits, and you think, oh, I can never overcome. It's too hard. It's too difficult. You know what's happened? You're walking through this gauntlet. Oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that. And Jesus saying, believe me. Oh, he is. It's just this big bark. We live in fear of a toothless enemy. We need to out-tug him with truth. Let me give you an example. John eight forty four tells us that freedom comes as a result of a power encounter or a truth encounter, not a power encounter. Some people think, well, I need to out, be stronger than Satan. No, you just need to out-truth out him. John eight forty four says, Jesus tells us in his word that Satan is the father of lies. It's his native tongue. So no truth ever comes out of him. He doesn't like say these things to you when you walk down this gauntlet. Hey, you're pretty powerful. (laughs) Trust Jesus. Hey, you could overcome. (laughs) Trust Jesus. 
No, he tells you a bunch of lies. His native language is lies, and our native belief should be truth. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are the children of God, and that the whole world is under the control or influence of the evil one. He can't do anything about our position in Christ. It's not a power struggle. It's a truth struggle with you. Do you believe Jesus or do you believe the enemy? You see, that happens in our lives. We have men and women who are trying to live up to what a father didn't do for them or say for them. And so they spend the rest of their lives trying to get approval of their dads. And listen to me, stop trying to get approval of your dads. Just get approval of Jesus Christ. He already told you who you are. Just believe that. Ladies, he tells us that, that, that you are beautiful in his sight. That he, that, that literally, that, that, that Jesus is enthralled with your beauty. Don't listen to what Satan says along the way. Oh, you're not as pretty. You don't have talent. Oh, you need to buy a new outfit. Oh, you need new shoes. Oh, I can't believe you're a stay-at-home mom. Oh, I can't believe you do this. Oh, I can't believe, oh, you don't have the body of her. Oh, 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 you need to throw up so you have a skinnier body. Oh, 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 oh. And Jesus says, he's enthralled with your beauty. Believe that. See, when you start believing these lies, you end up less than what Christ wants you to be. Listen to me. You will never get free of your demonic influence in your life and find victory over your crutch until you believe the truth. I daily overcome the lies that Satan brings my way. Oh, Jim, you're the first in a hundred years that's in ministry. You'll fail like your ancestors did. Just wait. See, this isn't rocket science. Where does my faith come from? It comes from knowing who I am in Jesus Christ. It comes from believing this instead of that. And the minute you believe that, you are rendered useless for the battle. I have so much to say here, and I'm worn out, but I'll close with this myth. Christians are not subject to demon activity. This question normally goes like this. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? My answer to that is no. Because the Holy Spirit takes up resonance in us when we get born again. My reply would be this, though. A Christian can be oppressed, influenced, and under the influence of a demon. And many Christians are still in bondage as a result of that. You're saved... Yet you're addicted to porn, eating disorders. You're saved, yet the manifestation of this spiritual problem comes out in a physical way. Dr. Neil Anderson said this, even sometimes in health. He said he has counseled people along the way. Not always, by the way. Now listen, I'm not trying to sensationalize this. He said he had a person who had MS, diagnosed with MS. Met with them. They came into his office, had the symptoms of MS. And so he began to explore their past and found out they were involved in Ouija boards and tarot cards and, 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 and astronomy, astrology. And so he began to unearth that and they began to confess and they began to, to say they're sorry and, and repent. And, and he said he began to deal with that. This person who had all the symptoms of MS, multiple sclerosis. And so he began to walk this person to the path of the sin that had attached their life. And this person when they went through this prayer of confession and getting rid of all these attachments that they had believed along the way. When they got through, the person came back the next week and the MS was gone. Listen to me. Not every case, but some of you have physical ailments because of spiritual sin in your life. You're believing lies. They come in the form of headaches. They can come in the form of pain. They can come in the form of sickness. They come in the form of addictions. Not everybody, but often. One illustration that really grabs us best is, is this, knowing who you are. Dr. Neil Anderson gave this great illustration. He said, this father and two sons would always go to this one house to visit this person. And when they would go there, there would be this little dog that had a big bark. You ever seen him? This big I mean, just, it's like, you know, just, just, that's what I want to do. 
but I don't in Jesus' name. Thank you. But anyhow, there, there's, there, there's this dog. You go there, and people are fearful of this stupid little dog. It's got teeth this big. And he says this one son, every time he'd go there, he'd be in fear. It's like, oh, no, i got to face the dog. And so he was always in fear over this dog. And so every time he'd go there, the dog would come out. His, his brother and his dad would stand firm. And he said he would run. He said, I was afraid of the dog. And I ran every single time, jumped in the back of our truck, and I stood there until my dad and my brother got the dog and took him back. And he said he began to think about that in the spirit realm. That's much like us. And he said this, the dog didn't put me in the truck. The dog didn't put me in the truck. I put myself in the truck because I believed that the dog had more power than I did. I was afraid of the dog and his or his meanwhile my brothers never got chased and he would say how come my brothers never got chased because they stood firm in the power and authority of who they were and the dog was afraid of them and all across Christianity are Christians running from a toothless enemy with a large bark and no bite Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 18 gives an illustration of a a daughter of Abraham who was in bondage to a demon for 18 years. She was a, a Christ follower, a God follower. And yet somewhere along the way, she probably believed a bunch of lies and she was in bondage. And when Jesus walked on the scene, he said, demons be gone and the bondage was gone. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3 says, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Jay Bell tells me the story of an individual that this college student, they asked him to speak to because this college student had erratic behavior that was happening in their life. Just real high and real low, just, just up and down, manic depressive, just real, real erratic and, and saying things like the, 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 they were in a dorm together and they would hear this guy say things in a different voice. And so they asked Jay to meet with him and he decided he would. And so this college student walked into Jay's office and he walked in the room and this other voice came out of this young man and cussed Jay out. Jay wasn't taken back with that because he was self-controlled and alert. He knew the schemes of the enemy. He was a good soldier. He studied his enemy. So he asked this student, just say the name Jesus. And the student couldn't speak because his mouth was stopped from speaking because of the forces of evil and his entanglement in sin. They had influenced him. He wasn't dressed properly. He was vulnerable. He, he couldn't speak. So Jay, knowing that the enemy can't hear and think or understand what we're thinking because he's a finite being who's been created, he was going to outwit the enemy because Satan doesn't know what we think. So God on that moment gave him something that he never had before. He looked at this young man and he said, say the, say the, the initial J, J, say E, E. Say, S, S. And the enemy hadn't seen this strategy before. By the way, the Holy Spirit can come up with new strategies the enemy hasn't seen. J-E-S. And he said, what's the next letter? Say you, you. Say the next letter, S. And so I'm sure the enemy was trying to think, what the world's going on here? And so he he went back phonetically. And he said to this person, J-E-S. It sounds like J. Say J. So he said, J-S. He said, S-U-S is S-S. Say S-S. He said, now put them together quickly. Jesus. And immediately this man and this young boy shrugged his shoulders and was free. Why? Because he pulled out his sword and he remit the enemy. I can tell you situations where I've counseled with people where I've walked them through steps to freedom and they were free. Let me close by saying this. Here's what I didn't say today, lest you go out and say this. I didn't say that Satan is the cause of every bad thing. Most of the time, we give him too much credit for our own poor choices, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. I didn't say that every sickness is a result of demonic oppression. Some are, though. But what I did say was this. Some of you in this room have been trying to fix a demonic spiritual issue physically, and it will 
not happen. What I did say was this. Some of you believe the lies of Satan more than you believe the truths of God's word. What I did say was this. Some of you want victory yet refuse to deal with the sin in your life and will remain in bondage until you do. What I did say was this. Some of you will never find victory until you put into practice the truths of God's word in this message. Listen to me. Victory's for the taking. Who wants to take it? Do you want to live in fear the rest of your life? Do you want to live with this addiction? Do you want to live less than what Christ intended you to live? Do you want to see your son and daughter find freedom? Do you want to find freedom? Do you want to find victory? Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Rima Satan all day long. Victory is yours for the taking. God help us today. God, you are great. You are powerful. It's time the Christian church walks in victory. Please, God. It's time we set aside these the cycle of defeat and insanity. It's time, God. It's time. Help us stop the believing, stop believing the smoke and mirrors and all the act, accusing things that the enemy says. And let us just believe the truth. Let us know who we are in Christ and let us know that we've already won. In Jesus' name, amen.